everyone and welcome to Behold Podcast where we try to answer once and for all, what is the best comic book adaptation? Yes, be it movie or TV show, we'll watch it and rank it until we've got our definitive number one. And who is we? Well, I'm your host Andrew and as per usual, I'm joined by my co-host Mick. Hello. So, how are you doing today, Mick? I'm, I'm having a fabulous day. Uh, as, as at time of recording, it's Yorkshire Day, so... Happy Yorkshire Day to anyone from that magnificent county like myself. And I spent the day uh, patrolling its northernmost natural border on a boat. Oh, lovely stuff. Oh, double reason for celebration then. Absolutely. Because it is also the end of our completely planned, definitely deliberate hiatus. Yay! you know might not have been a thing but someone decided they were going to have things to do outside podcasting and activities and interests and why don't you try going out the house sometimes Andrew well never actually in fairness I was just finding something to do to fill the gap between like cinemas being open and that yeah that's also true yeah this is this is a (laughs) brand new and exciting day in behold the history because there are finally like actual new things coming out again. I mean, it's it's got to the stage that the other thing, the other thing that lockdown's done. Like last year, right? It didn't feel like the football season ended. It it seemed to go from Leeds United getting promoted as champions from the Championship to the following week having their first game in the Premiership against Liverpool, right? And um, the same is true with all the um, superhero TV, or comic book TV shows. They've, they've all sort of, some of them are still running now, but are having a bit of a break while the last couple of episodes come out. But um, I think The Flash finished two weeks ago, starts again in two weeks' time. It's ridiculous, man. <laughs> It's a heck of a turnaround. It is. <laughs> anyway, so, speaking of superhero stuff, I guess it's time for us to kind of flick our hair back and strike a superhero pose as we behold Black Widow. Yeah, it doesn't work as well with my hair. Yeah, yeah. yeah the, the thing that's probably lost on the listeners is that both of us do not have a lot of hair to flick back. No. Certainly, we, we lack the requisite ponytail. We do, yeah. Um, I also lack many other aspects of um, Scarlett Johansson's physicality that would suit doing... I'm, I'm more Red Guardian than Black Widow, it has to be said. Yeah, I, th- I think it's safe to say neither of us are pulling off a skin-tight, like, black leather bodysuit, are we? No. Anyway, yes, today we are talking about the 2021 Eventually film, which is directed by Kate Shortland, written by Jack Schaefer and Ned Benson, and based on the Marvel Comics character created by Stan Lee, Don Rico and Don Heck in 1964. So, Mick, how familiar are you with Black Widow? I, I've always thought that Black Widow in the MCU was underrated because I have read quite a few um, of her, not, not going back through time, but certainly the stuff that came out around 2014, um, where she got a few one-shot series. Um, I've read those and they made her MCU appearances seem a little bit shallow almost like she was just there to appeal to a demographic and actually and we'll probably come on to this when we review the movie but there is such a great character story to be told there with the stuff that she does outside of her Avengersness. 
the um, more than merits a standalone movie. It's you know I know we're getting this movie late, but we should have had it earlier anyway. Yeah, yeah, definitely. We, we there have been so many like points in the past when this movie should have come out. <laughs> but yeah, that's that's definitely been my like feelings with that <coughs> movie as well. As I've always preferred a uh, more off doing her own like cool little spy stuff. Yeah. Which spoilers for later may also hold true in terms of movies. <laughs> but I think but I, yeah. I, I think I think that. I think the problem you've got with her in the MCU is she's always up with the Avengers and she's a bit like she's a bit like Hawkeye who suffers the same sort of fate in the in the MCU in that she isn't super powered she's just very skilled and therefore visually in terms of a the cinematic set piece that a marvel movie is not as exciting you can't do as much cgi for someone who's just got skills as you can for someone who turns into a big green monster and wrecks buildings for example yeah so you could probably like make a compilation of bits in the mcu of just like Thor swings his hammer and summons a massive lightning storm. Mm. Hulk, you know, punches a giant space worm through a building. Yeah. Black Widow fires her teeny tiny pistols a bit. Yeah. Picks up a shield. <laughs> yeah. But but when 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 given the opportunity to kick some butt, kicks it. Yeah, I think it's kind of. I suppose it holds true for comics as well, being a bit of a double-edged sword, hmm. is that one of the cool things is you do get like all these various sort of different genre things mushed together. Yeah. Like you have superheroes and gods and like robots and super spies and cowboys and literally Conan the Barbarian. Yeah. But it also means when they're all together, some of those are going to seem more impressive than others. Yeah. And, and I think it's a shame because, and I know we've, we've spoken about this before on um, the podcast that there's a there's a reason DC fits better on TV and Marvel fits better in cinema, and it's it's about that character sort of piece. But actually, Black Widow fits more into that. Give her a give her a series so that she can breathe. And you can reveal these layers of of who Natasha Romanoff is. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. So, I suppose before we go too detailed into what we think of the movie, spoiler alert! I loved it. God, did you you. Ruined it already, mate. It's that's it. End would, of episode. Would you like to synopsize it for us? I would like to synopsize it. Uh, and as always, I will mention at top that there will be full spoilers for the film. But All I, the I think we've got to a point just collectively where I think we can say deal with it. Yeah. Because this you, is one of the rare occasions where we can't say it's been out for 27 years. Where have you been? Yes, but also I think our new stance should maybe be if you've clicked on an episode about a specific film that you haven't watched and are going, oh boy, I can't wait to listen to people talk about this film for 45 minutes to an hour without discussing any significant plot details. That's maybe on you, listener. (laughs) Maybe we should do a special edition for listeners like that. Where we go. And this week we'll be talking about Black Widow, but not much. Because we don't want to spoil it for anybody who hasn't seen it. Yes, just 45 minutes of... I mean, <laughs> like that, that one bit, you know, with the thing where the stuff happened. Where, where, where the spinny thing uh, through the uh, whirly thing and the thingy uh, caught it in the mouth of the thing and the what's it, and then everything exploded. Yeah, that bit was good. Oh, that was a good bit. Man, it would make the prep work a lot easier. It would, wouldn't it? 
Anyway, synopsis time. So, in a prologue set in 1995, a teenage Natasha Romanoff is part of a group of Russian agents pretending to be an American family in order to steal a secret research project. Along with her sister Yelena, father Alexei, played by David Harbour, and mother Melina, played by Rachel Weiss. After Alexei steals the research, they escape back to Russia, and Natasha and Yelena are turned over to the Red Room to become Black Widow assassins. We then jump to 2016, just after the events of Captain America's Civil War. Natasha, now played by Scarlett Johansson, who if she really put her money by her mouth was, would also play like 12-year-old Natasha Romanoff. Yeah. You said you could be anyone, Scarlett. <laughs> you should also anyway. be playing fetus Natasha. <laughs> Embryo Natasha. <laughs> That's just... Actually, no, if we go even further back, we're going to get into trouble, aren't we? Yeah. Anyway, Natasha is now on the run from the US government. Her attempts to go into hiding, though, are thrown off when she is semi-inadvertently contacted by Yelena. Yelena has grown up to become both Florence Pugh and a Black Widow. However, the program is now far worse than before Natasha got out. Widows are now made from girls kidnapped from all over the world and forced to become assassins by chemical mind control. Yelena was freed from her control by a dying former Black Widow, who stores samples of the antidote and now needs help to save the others. To make matters worse, the Black Widow program is being led by General Drakov. Raven. Ah, can't say words. Ray Winston. There we go. <coughs> oh my God. This, this isn't going well at all. What we should have got prior to the episode is just a sample of me going Ray Winston that you could just cut in. <laughs> Yeah, exactly. There we go. If you just say Ray Winstone from now on. <laughs> right. Ray to make matters worse. Rare departure as not Cockney. Oh, um, I mean, barely not Cockney. <laughs> I'd struggle to call him Russian. Oh, to be fair, to be fair, it's better than um, Sean Connery's Spaniard, or indeed Sean Connery's Russian. Do you know what the worst part is? This has turned into quite a good bit, so I'm going to have to keep this in. <laughs> anyway, General Drakov, who Natasha thought she'd killed in Budapest years ago as part of her deal with S.H.I.E.L.D. to aid her defection. And to make things even worser than that, Nat and Yelena are also being pursued by the mysterious assassin Taskmaster, who has the amazing ability of forcing celebrities to perform a series of outlandish <laughs> tasks for a studio audience. <laughs> I'll admit, I giggled myself when I was typing that one out. Um, oh, and, and also they can mimic the abilities of other heroes like Captain America, Black Widow, and Hawkeye. I mean, I guess you can also technically mimic the abilities like the Hulk, yeah. but then you're just basically doing a, a uh, punch, aren't you? Ah, yeah, but uh, I think there's a difference between being able to mimic abilities and being able to mimic powers. Yes, exactly. That's what I mean, is that, like, he can punch someone like how the Hulk would punch someone, but without any of the gamma-irradiated strength, yeah. making it slightly redundant. Yeah. So the two Black Widows are able to free Alexei from a Siberian prison that he's been stuck in for the last several years, and he takes them to Melina, who then immediately betrays our heroes and turns them order to Drakov. However, turns out this was all part of the plan to get the four of them aboard the floating helicarrier-esque red room and allow Natasha to get to Drakov by disguising herself as Melina. Drakov has a couple of twists of his own though. Firstly, he implanted Natasha with a pheromone lock that prevents her from doing any harm to him. And secondly, the Taskmaster is actually his daughter, Antonia, played by Olga Kurilenko, who was caught in the explosion that Natasha thought had killed Drakov and was saved cybernetic implants that were in, that was in the research that Alexei stole. Uh, luckily, Natasha is able to overcome the pheromone lock by breaking her own nose and then by working together, 
their family are able to kill Drakov, bring down the Red Room, and free Antonia and the other widows from their brainwashing. Uh, as, the others, as the others escape, Natasha stays to confront the US officials arriving at the scene. We then cut to two weeks later, when Natasha, having escaped or something, I mm. guess, gets ready to save the other imprisoned Avengers with a stolen Quinjet. Because if you remember back from like four years ago, they were in prison at the time. <laughs> yeah, what this movie kind of needs at the beginning is that previously in phases one, two and three of the MCU. Yeah, just to just remember these bits and then also these are the bits, but forget these are the bits, but now remember these are the bits because it's the post credit scene where Yelena <laughs> visits Natasha's grave and she is met by Valentina Allegra de Fontaine, played by Julia Louise Dreyfus who informs the Yelena that the person responsible for Natasha's death is Hawkeye. Dun, dun, dun! And that's, I guess, setting up the, the Hawkeye series. Yeah. And yeah, that's the plot of Black Widow. So, Mick, shall I go through the motions of asking you what you felt about this film? You can. In which case I will. Mick, what did you think about this film? Well, mostly when I came out, I felt um, nauseous and battered and bruised, but that's because I went to watch the 4DX version. So... Again, a thing you tend to do willingly of your own volition. I know, but this one does it really, really well. (laughs) I think... I think they've taken the the time that COVID's been around to really improve the 4DX programming. This was awesome. Even um, the opening shot is a couple of estate as a couple of estate cars going down a a drive and turning the corner. Even that bit was ooh. <laughs> anybody who got car sick that got that bit got them. So how they felt um, when it came to aeroplanes tumbling out of the sky and rolling over. Lord alone knows, but um, but no, I yeah. I thought for and and I don't know. Um, I, I was mentioning this to a colleague earlier. Um, I don't know whether it was just the euphoria of being able to go to a cinema again and watch a film, um, but I really really enjoyed it. Yeah, that's, that's almost like an asterisk we have to put on is how much of this is just I've been to the cinema like maybe twice in the past year and just, oh my God, it's so nice to be back there. Well, I'm, I'm just trying to think what else, what was the last film I actually went to see at the cinema? And this is the comparison for you. I believe that the last film I actually went to see at the cinema prior to this was Dark Phoenix. Ooh. I mean, I guess that they're two superhero films with red-headed protagonists. Yeah. Scarlet's less of a fire hazard, though. This is true. And is also better than everything else in that film. Yeah. I'm just trying to think, did I go see New Mutants at the cinema? Did it get a theatrical release, New Mutants? Yeah, I know. I, I definitely saw New Mutants in the cinema. Uh, that's probably it then. I probably did go see New Mutants in the cinema. So that's better than seeing Dark Phoenix. That's better than my last memory of the pre-COVID cinema being Dark Phoenix. I couldn't have lived with myself then. Well, I suppose it was my last cinema trip before COVID. I guess New Mutants would have been a betwixt COVID. An inter-COVID visit, if you will. Yeah, I I definitely saw something in the brief low between COVIDs. Yeah. God, I can't even remember what it was, even though I definitely remember enjoying it. Have we done an episode on the New Mutants? You know, I don't, I don't think we have. I, I know we, to do a slight plug, guested on one of our friends' podcasts, uh, Cinema Eclectica, to talk about it. I, I don't know, believe we've done a Behold. 
I, I knew I'd done I knew I'd done a podcast about new mutants because I remember having their spooky glowy eyes behind my head. And I also had a backdrop on. But yeah. Indeed. Anyway, we, we have got lost in kind of our like old man recollections. We have, yeah. A bit like Red Guardian. Hey, there we go. It's all relevant. Brought it back. Still got it. Yes. But we've not lost a beat. <laughs> Does Captain America ever mention me? Yeah, that is, I, I do like that little bit a lot of Red Guardian <laughs> insisting that no, he absolutely fought Captain America one time, yeah. despite that being completely impossible. Uh, 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 what it, what it like? What I like about it is the fact that he does it in the same way that the Joker character does it in the Lego Batman movie. It's like. I am your nemesis. I'm his nemesis. We must have thought. <laughs> He's absolutely yeah, convinced he must have been Steve Rogers' most. <laughs> yes, he must be the, the, the guy he, who talks about all the time. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I think it's great. I think, um, I mean, joking aside, yeah, Ray Winston's Russian isn't faultless. Far from it. But it doesn't really matter. Because Ray Winston, if Ray Winston wants to sound threatening, he can sound threatening. If he needs to do an accent, he can, he, he, it's not his strong point, but, you know, he'll be threatening even so. So it kind of works, I think. Because I, I yeah. think the thing with Ray Winston's Russian is that he sounds like a stereotypical, he sounds like a Cold War bad guy. The kind of Cold War Russian bad guy that you don't see in films anymore. And I think it kind of fits with that whole, we're a has-been breed, you know, Red Guardian's past his best. Um, Drakoff is a, a relic of a war that was fought 30, 40 years ago. It, it's that kind of a feel to it. And then there's almost like this next generation breaking free. So the Black Widows are, are sort of learning that they're maybe not doing good things under their orders and they're, they're breaking free of the control. And so I, th I think it's a, it's like a, almost a metaphor for the transition from that old guard, everything's underhand, Everything's hidden, even from the people who are doing it, and the shadowy figures in the background aren't even like the ones that the public think have got authority. So, I, 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 yeah, I think it's it works so well. It's almost yeah. like the James Bond film we still haven't had. Well, that was literally my main <laughs> note: is Black Widow is basically the best James Bond film in about a decade. Yeah, and it is. It, because it, it's got that level of ridiculousness that every James Bond has, you know, that everything everything that's really slightly over the top and therefore exaggerated. Um, the stunts are all highly improbable, but not impossible, uh, necessarily. Yeah, there's counterplots and subplots and... Um, betrayals left right and center you don't know necessarily from one moment to the next who's whose friend it's it's great and it yeah, keeps the thing is it keeps it rattling on because it runs for something just over two hours yeah it definitely felt like a, a zippier film than uh, a lot of especially the yeah. more recent marvel ones have yeah but yeah there's hardly a chance to pause for breath really and yet you still get those, um, you still get those exposition areas that explain the relationship between um, Red Guardian, Natasha, Yelena, Melina, and particularly when they're discussing that, that fake family thing that they have going on, which Natasha is like, you know, completely dismissive of as in terms of a relationship 
but then the minute someone says take your elbows off the table she got she sort of reacts automatically <laughs> like she feels comfortable in that situation whilst railing against it and it, it's four lovely little moments like that it is yeah that's definitely like a big part of what makes it work is just like the four main characters they do bounce off each other really well yeah yeah um like I know yeah. something that apparently was like Rachel Vice's idea is that her and Red Guardian are like are genuinely like actually quite affectionate with each other. Yeah. Whereas I think in before in the script it was like more of a generic he's in love with her, but she doesn't really like give him the time of day. She's very erg this guy again. Yeah. And I think this works a lot better with making them feel like an actual family. Yeah. And that you know. The other thing that you've got is is the comedic moments. You've got the uh, the interplay between Yelena and uh, Natasha over why do you do that thing? Why do you do the pose? Like everybody is watching you. <laughs> yeah, and when she does, she's like, oh, such a poser. Yeah, <laughs> and then she catches oh, and also possibly the best line in the whole film is after shooting a guy with a bazooka, accidentally causing an avalanche, Elena just looks at it and goes, yeah, this would be a cool way to die. <laughs> and then you've got Red Guardian, who he's doing that thing, which I found particularly amusing, having watched this just after lockdown, because I've done a lot of trying to get into things that I used to wear for work, and finding that, I can't fit it all in anymore because I've not been cycling and I've not been running and I've not been walking quite as much as I did in the two years leading up to COVID. So everything's just like a little bit too tight. Yeah, and it's again, I think probably in, in a way it's a bit of a cheap joke, but I think it does sell it, especially because it ties into that whole he is this washed up has been. Yeah. Like, he still thinks of himself as, you know, this great, the pride of Russia. Yeah. But he barely even fits in the uniform anymore. I know that, I know the other thing is that it also does the thing that always has, has slightly niggled me in the comics, right? Uh, on all publishers' sides, right? I get that Batman, who does all his martial arts and all the rest of it, and needs the core strength to be able to scale buildings and do all the stuff that he does, I get that he's pumped and built and works out. And so he should have those big muscles and the, the six pack and all the rest of it. Steve Rogers, took super soldier serum and then works out on top of that. So I get why he's got it. Superman, absolutely no reason for him to be bulked up because that's not how he gets his strength. He gets his strength from our yellow sun. Why do they always have to put, have him like as stacked as Batman? Yeah, exactly. Especially because he is also supposed to be mild-mannered reporter Clark Kent. Yeah. Who, who nobody questions the fact that he has just, like, washboard abs. Yeah. <laughs> Despite the fact that because Penny White sends him on all those crappy stories, he never has time to go to the gym. Yeah, no, that's... Uh, and then this is going off on a tangent a bit, but it's one of my favourite things about um, this series called All-Star Superman, right. where basically it's uh, Frank Quietly is the guy who draws it. But he, does, he draws Superman as big but not particularly muscular. Right, like and, and, he does just look like a guy who maybe used to play football in high school. Yeah, and doesn't anymore. That's the thing, I think. Oh, don't get me wrong. I don't have a problem with Superman looking toned, but it, that, it just looks wrong. Yeah. And I think Red Guardian is the antithesis to that because he's, he's the warning. This is what Steve Rogers will become when he stops doing all that running around the lake and overtaking... Um, oh, Falcon, yeah. Falcon, yeah. Sam Wilson. 
when he stops yeah, or, doing or, all I guess, that. Oh, they're Captain America now. Yeah. So, um, so yeah, so I, I quite like that little nod to, to that whole conceit in comics. Yeah. And I guess the important thing is, like Red Guardian, he can still do, like, fights and action scenes. Yeah. And looks hilarious when he falls flat on his face during them. Yeah, it's the best of both worlds. It is, yeah. And you're right, you know, the, the, the thing that sells it is that genuine affection he has for Natasha and Yelena and Melina. It, it's just, you know, it's almost like if at the end of Infinity War, sorry, at the end of Endgame, he'd been around, he would have saved Natasha in some way. Yeah. Spoiler for anybody who's not... pushed Hawkeye off the edge of the cliff. Spoiler for anybody who's not watched Endgame yet. I mean, which statistically is not anyone on the planet. Yeah. (laughs) Except people who don't like movies. I I think even if you don't, I think you've still accidentally seen Endgame. Right. (laughs) Like, I think they just got to the point where just knowledge of the entirety of Endgame just kind of sprung into your mind, whether or not you'd actually been to the cinema to see it. Right, okay. So, yeah. Um, Is it perfect? I wouldn't say no. There are some areas where the script's a little bit clunky. Um... I think it takes quite a bit of the film before I start believing Florence Pugh's performance as Yelena. And I... Oh, I disappeared there for a bit. I, um, I think... I think it's more when they are working closely together that it's believable. When she's, when she's solo as Yelena, I'm not really buying it. But I think the interplay between her and Johansson is, is good. Yeah, and I think she's definitely been set up as, like, the new Black Widow. Yeah, yeah. Possibly even more so now that Scarlett Johansson is super definitely not coming back. Yeah, because the one way to guarantee you're not going to return to a massive franchise is to sue your employer. Yep. That never ends well in terms of future appearances in their multi-billion pound franchise. And they, she's not the only one, is, is she? The Gerard Butler's doing the same over Olympus. Oh, is he? Yeah. I, I did not know that because that would mean having like any kind of information about the Olympus franchise in my head. <laughs> I just chanced across it while I was reading up on um, Scarlet's case. It came up as, if you're reading this, you may be interested in this. Number 38 will surprise you. Is, is number 38 just the fact that apparently there's, there's an entire Olympus franchise? <laughs> I've never seen any of the movies, I'll be honest. I, I think I've seen the first one, because I know that there was that came out and then there was another film called, I think, White House Down which is literally the exact same premise of bad guys want to kill the president, I've got to save him. And I, right. I think I've seen both, or I've maybe seen one of them, and I'm not entirely sure which one. You see, that's how I feel about the X-Men movies. Yeah, it's, it's very much that same kind of thing of, I don't know, they might just be the same. <laughs> it might just be one villain. <laughs> But yeah, so um, I don't remember the score annoying me in any particular way. Yeah, I would say it was definitely in terms of Marvel films, a pretty good score. Yeah, yeah. Um, good score. Uh, well filmed. The action sequences. I would say, I mean, bearing in mind the scale of some of the action pieces, they don't feel overly staged like they're doing some of the cinematic universe movies. 
they feel more on a par with the Bond franchise than the MCU franchise in terms of overblownness. Yeah, well, because it's, it's more like hand-to-hand fighting type stuff, isn't yeah. it? Yeah. I will say, it, it does suffer a bit. I mean, in the way that like 99% of modern action films suffer from just being quite choppily edited in the fight scenes. Yeah. Uh, and there, but, there I mean, are, but, but comparably, I would say they're, they're not too bad. No, there, there are a couple of sequences that do feel like you're in the fast show sketch, the long, big punch-up. But, you know, it's that kind of a film. That's how, you know... The whole point of the Black Widow program is that these are trained killers who can kill in close quarters or at range. You know. Yeah, I would say probably the, the one fight that did feel a bit flat for me is the bit where Red Guardian fights Taskmaster. Mm. Not, not not necessarily choreography-wise, but just because I feel like that bit's supposed to be the payoff for the joke. Is that because yeah. Taskmaster can fight like Captain America? This is like Red Guardian actually getting to fight Captain America. Yeah, but I just I don't think it really sells that all that much. No, no, no. That didn't. No, that didn't work too well. But uh, but yeah, all in all. A fine addition to the uh, pantheon. Indeed. Uh, but of course, we're, we're not just talking about it on its merits as a film. You also need to look at its merits as an adaptation of the source material. Yeah, and I think, I think it's one of those that a lot of the, a lot of the franchises we've covered on this podcast falls into it it's not an adaptation of any one particular storyline it sort of picks the best bits of several and puts them together into one story and i think the thing is that in in the standalone black widow comics that history of the the red room and everything has kind of been drip fed and the history with yelena has been kind of drip fed so putting that all together in one narrative isn't strictly speaking an adaptation of a, oh well I'm, I'm doing Loki stuff well ooh, yeah wow. you're doing it an episode early yeah oh oh um so yeah um I think um it's not really an adaptation as such it's more just uh sort of this is a great character that we really need to celebrate properly in a in a proper movie um so we'll we'll take all those strands from the comic book history mm, yes i just i think it also though has kind of mixed results with how much it takes mm-hmm. like obviously black widow herself is obviously taking a lot of things from the comics like you know the being a super spy, being part of the Avengers, all the stuff with the Red Room. Yeah. Uh, Yelena, I think, does get changed a fair bit because in the comics, she's kind of a bit more like a, a morally ambiguous character. Like she ends yeah. up being a supervillain a lot of the time. Whereas of these, this, they kind of need to repurpose her more for being like the next Black Widow. Yeah. Which, I mean, I'm, I'm completely fine with that. I think it definitely plays up to a, a lot of Florence Pugh's strengths. Yeah. Uh, and, he, yep, Red Guardian is pretty much, I mean, is that same basic concept of he is the Soviet equivalent of Captain America. Yeah. And obviously he can do a lot more interesting stuff, like the film does now that, you know, the USSR isn't really a thing anymore. So you can kind of make him this always like a, washed up has been because I think in the comics they have introduced some newer versions and when you do that it just just become yeah this is just a character who's like Captain America but he dresses in red yeah yeah he is also the team leader of the Winter Guard a team which has the best Marvel hero on it tell me more he is a man called Ursa Major whose super ability is transforming into a bear 
Excellent. Yes. He's also technically in this film. Like, he is supposed to be the guy that Red Guardian has his arm wrestling match with. Ah. But that's one of those things I feel like they can maybe retcon that if they ever do want to bring actual Ursa Major in. Yeah. Which they should, because again, he turns into a bear. <laughs> but wow. yeah, kind of the, the big sticking point though that I was building up to is Taskmaster in this. Because yeah. Taskmaster is basically completely different to the comics. Yeah. Because in the comics, Taskmaster is a guy, which I, th- I think I did slip up and refer to Taskmaster as he earlier because the comics version is a guy whose name is Tony Masters. Ah. Ah, right. Yeah, which yeah, is yeah. Which is some great, ridiculous comic book naming stuff. Yeah. And it's just, it's a bit disappointing because in the comics, he is a very distinct character. Like, it's the idea that he's this very... He is a super villain because that's how he pays the bills. Yeah. And like as soon as something's not going to be profitable, he is the kind of guy who just go, Yeah, no, this isn't worth it. I'm just gonna leave. Bye guys. Yeah. Didn't he start off as a shield agent who was being trained? Yes, he was a shield agent. Uh then I think um he went through some kind of experimental procedure. Because I know in the comics. He's not like a weird cybernetic thing. He's just got like a perfect memory. That's why he can copy people's uh, fighting abilities. But also because of that, it means he's got like a memory loss issues because it's literally like he has to push out his memories to remember stuff. Which, God, that that was a terrible way of phrasing it, wasn't it? Yes. Yeah, and again, that leads to some interesting stuff. Like, I know there's a character called Finesse, who is, I think, I don't know if they ever stated it, but it was heavily implied that she's Taskmaster's daughter. Right. So what he does at one point is he has a fight with her because he knows, like, all his actual memories of it, he's going to forget those. But her fighting style, that's, like, the one thing he's going to remember. So he's always going to have, like, a bit of his daughter that he remembers that's some twisted stuff there. It is. It's a twisted and it's quite interesting. And you just, you don't get that because the character in Black Widow kind of has none of that stuff. Yeah. But again, I also think she does work for the movie. Yeah. The, the, only, the only aspect of it that doesn't hold together for me. And it may just be rose-tinted spectacles of, of the Black Widow character, both in the MCU and the and the comics. But that whole thing about using the daughter to get to Dracoff. Yeah, that's that's maybe that, a bit too far, isn't it? It doesn't really ring true for that's the bit. That's the bit where she would fail the mission rather than kill the child. That's always the vibe I've got from Romanoff. Because I know in some of the comics that she, you know, she sets up orphanages and things like that with the money she earns because she's trying to uh, balance her copybook. And for all yeah, the bad things she's whole... done. I mean, obviously, I know Black Widow's whole thing in the films has been, oh, I've got ready my ledger that I need clearing yeah. off. And I feel like we've always taken that to be like, Oh yeah, some slightly shady assassination missions. Not one time I blew up an actual child. Yeah, just to get a, a dad. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's a little bit full on. <laughs> yeah, because I think the film kind of does the thing of like, oh well, no, she she survived, so it's kind of fine. No film. <laughs> she did still try to actually murder the child, so. Yeah. I don't think that's where... And, and it's not as if the child escaped unharmed. <laughs> yes, she was still very badly maimed, Natasha. Yeah. <coughs> I mean, so, to be fair, yes, you're right. You do actually have things you need to atone for. Yes. 
Oh, it's, it's uh, also oh, maybe another another uh, niggly thing. Not only that, but having failed to kill her dad the set the first time, you then killed him the second time. So you were you you were hell bent on making her an orphan. Yeah, so at that point, that's got to feel quite personal. <laughs> yeah. But no, it's fine. She said she was sorry. <laughs> Actually, do you think it was maybe a bit like five minutes after that where Antonia kind of coming to her senses a bit more? Wait, no, hold on, Natasha. You, you literally blew me up. Yeah. <laughs> well, you did say that... Um... Antonia, or Tony, has memory loss issues. Yeah, there we go. There's there's Just There there we go. Nice happy ending. Sorry I blew you up that one time. Yeah, whatever. I don't even remember it. Who are you again? Oh, goodness. Anyway, I guess one last thing to end on, just to bring it back around to a, a nice positive. That opening sequence is bloody fantastic. <laughs> it is. It is bloody. Highly improbable. Oh, yeah. Ab- absolutely ridiculous. It's like they run away and they get on a plane and then, like, they're shooting and David Harbour's just hanging onto a wing with a rifle, I guess, because he's also Spider-Man, apparently. Yeah. Yeah, it, but who cares? Because it looks really freaking cool. But you know, we've seen James Bond do equally ridiculous things. Yeah, exactly. That's the thing, isn't it? It's just it's a full-on like James Bond style opening sequence. Yeah, and uh, the 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 only other thing, the only other thing that that got me was I could I could see the child Yelena growing up to be. Florence Pugh, I couldn't see the teenage Natasha growing up to be Scarlett Johansson. Almost going back to what you said at the top of the episode about, you know, you should have played. The, and I think there isn't much of a resemblance between the two. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I think it generally took me a little while to figure out that was supposed to be Natasha. Yeah, yeah. And I think... Because it, it just, they, they don't look alike at all. No, and it was difficult. The other thing for me was there seemed to be a hint that they'd already had some training. Yeah, yeah, that's what... Because definitely Natasha, she had some training, but Elena maybe hadn't. Yeah. But then it also seemed like they were both being sent off but, to the Red Room to be trained to be Black Widows. Yeah. Maybe, I mean, maybe maybe, maybe they've got some sort of, like, you know, two-tier education system for assassins. So you go to, like, kindergarten assassin school where you just learn how to do it with chewed-up bits of paper from a ruler and take people out at range like that. And then you you progress through and you learn how to, you know, use a catapult and um, stuff like that. And then once you hit, like, you know, a certain age, you go up to big school and then you start studying for your O-levels and GCSEs in um, assassination, close quarter combat, uh, mind control, disguise, that kind of stuff. Yeah, doing that one bit where, like, you spinning flip at someone and grab their head with your legs and tackle them to the ground. Yeah, I think that's A-level. Actually, yeah, that makes sense because that does seem quite complicated and not really all that useful. (laughs) So it basically is an (laughs) A-level. Well, that's the the other thing I liked about this film was uh, talking about the disguise element, is you can place where you are in the movie in the MCU based on what colour Natasha's hair is. Yes, it is like a handy guide. <laughs> it's just. like a handy guide to the chronological order of the MCU. 
Because you do sit there and think, oh, why's, why's Black Widow blonde in this one? <laughs> and now you yeah. know. Well, so of all the origin stories I thought we were going to get, Natasha's vest in Infinity War is not one of them. <laughs> well, you know, I've slept better at night knowing where that came from. See, whereas I was just kept awake staring at the walls going, but why didn't this film come out like four years ago? <laughs> So, I think it's probably about time to rank it. Yes. So this is going to be put on our list of 1 to 38. Now, since it has been a while, shall I just quickly run through the top and bottom 10? Oh, you're confident, aren't you? That it's, it's going to either go in, in the upper echelons or it's going to go in the stinkers. Well, well did I, I thought, you know, just as a reminder <laughs> for the audience, kind of what the, the best <laughs> and the worst are. Okay. So, in the, the lofty heights of the highest, we have History of Violence at number one, Road to Perdition at number two, Hellboy, the good one, at number three, Wonder Vision at number four, Jessica Jones season one at number five, Sin City at number six, uh, The Boys season two at number seven, Resident Alien at number eight, Deadpool at number nine, and The Boys season one at number 10. And then going all the way down, down to the stinkiest stinks of the lowest of the low, we have got at number 28, Falcon and the Winter Soldier, at number 29, uh, the Snyder Cut of Justice League, at number 30, Lock and Key season one, number 31, Titan season one, uh, number 32, Birds of Prey, the bad TV series, not the good film. Uh, number 33, Titans Season 2. At uh, number 34, Edge of Tomorrow. At uh, number 35, Hulk, the 2003 movie. At uh, number 36, the 1990s Captain America movie. And then the, the infamous of the two, number 37, 30 Days of Night. Number 38, Howard the Bloody Duck. <laughs> Which was, in fact, the last episode we did before this one. Yeah. Wow. Right, so moving away from... I, I definitely think this is moving well away from Howard the Duck. Oh, yes. This, this is definitely moving back more towards the top of the list. And I think... And this is just my personal opinion. You may have a different one. But I think this just pips WandaVision. And I think that anybody who's jonesing for a James Bond film can go see this and enjoy it without caring about whether it's in, in the MCU or not. Yeah, that is something I liked about a lot as well, is that aside from like the post credit sequence, this is pretty much a self-contained film. Mm -hmm. I mean, I guess, because it does still tie into like the post-Civil War stuff, but it's it doesn't like spend 20 minutes or so just talking about something that will be relevant in like That's right, yeah. three films time. Yeah, and it, 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 it does make little odd references to events in the MCU, but it also makes references to other things that aren't in the MCU that people might equally not know about. So... I, yeah, I, I think it just pips one division there on that. It's, yeah, because I think definitely with the list, I think there is a fair gap in between Hellboy and one division. It's one division. I think with one division. So, so you, you, you have it, to know a lot more about the MCU to enjoy it fully, I think. Yeah, that's and also One Division. I would say maybe, um, God, how many episodes of One Division were there in the end? Was it like nine? It was either eight or ten, I think. Um, yeah, well, so there were eight. But basically, if this was Black Widow, 
compared to maybe like the first seven episodes of One Division, I'd maybe be more tempted to give it to One Division. But I think One Division it, it did just have a little bit of a stumble with the last episode there. Mm. Whereas Black Widow, it, it is very consistently good through the whole film. No, you're right. There were nine episodes. Ah, oh, there were nine episodes. Yeah. Maybe that's were... right. I remember now because they were supposed to be ten, but then because of COVID, they had to drop it down to nine, right. and that's where a lot of the problems for the ninth episode come in. Right. Man, but putting Black Widow as our number four, though that that does seem high. Yeah, but I, th- I mean. This is this is one of the problems because the the other thing for me is when I'm rating it. Um, oh, when we're doing the ranking, I always ask myself the question: How likely am I to watch it again? And the answer is very likely with this. But I would have said also that. Being in the top 10 of the best adaptations, it would need to be an adaptation of a specific storyline. But then you've got WandaVision number five, which isn't an adaptation of a specific storyline. What have we got at number three? I mean, number three is Hellboy, and it's it's absolutely below Hellboy because most things are below Hellboy. Only because it's your podcast. That's yeah, that, that's very true. And a lot of that is Hellboy is basically where my executive power comes in. Yeah. Ah, but but I guess if I am gonna exercise like harsh tyrannical authority in making Hellboy like always be part of the top three, I'll, I'll maybe let you have Black Widow as number four. Yeah. Because I'm not necessarily a hundred percent against it. So there we go. And, Black uh, Widow is in as I knew number four. And I'll rename you in my uh, Facebook friends list uh, and not call you Andrew the Mad Titan. I mean, that is a pretty good nickname, though. <laughs> in that case. I'll rename it Batley. Heck yeah. <laughs> okay, well, I guess before I go get my, like, Infinity Stone so that I can snap the bottom half of our list out of existence, we should probably wrap things up. Okay. So, yeah, that's it. That's the end of the show. If you would like to listen to more, you can find all episodes on the feed or just wherever you get your podcasts. And if you do subscribe, you'll make sure you never miss an episode. Uh, if you want to get in touch, our email is beholdpod at gmail.com or you can follow us on Twitter at beholdpod. And if you are a fan, we'd really appreciate it if you left us a review on your podcast app of choice or just recommended us to a friend. As always, it is the best way for us to grow and just reach out to new lovely ear holes. And that's Did everything. Did you say ear holes there? <laughs> Yeah, look, so I, I went for ear holes, which was not the best option when I have quite a scratchy throat. <laughs> yeah, just recommend us to any ear holes, you know. I mean, look, <laughs> if they're going to gonna listen to the show, exactly. <laughs> I'll take what I can get. <laughs> so until next time, I've been Andrew. And I've been Mick. So long and thanks for listening.